The Old Testament reading for today is from the book of Psalms, chapter 119. Not the whole thing, just 9 through 11. Okay, starting with verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. And our New Testament reading is from the book of Matthew. It's found on page 809 in your pew Bible. It's verses It's Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ben. Wow, wow, such good stuff. I wanted to just show you one more element before we um, actually dive into that passage together. Um, This is a prayer shawl that they would use whenever they were reading the Word of God or or praying to God to cover their heads. And um, the symbol for that, oftentimes when they're out in public, is now just a yarmulke, but it's a symbol of this, right? A reminder of the cover of authority that we have of God's Word and His Holy Spirit. We, uh, at all of that, don't don't, um, adhere to that aspect of the law. We have freedom in Christ. Christ has set us free from, from the duties of the law, but I pray that we're never set free from the spirit of the law. That we ask God to cover us with his word and with his presence, even as we risk opening it up. second thing that's really striking me as we come to God's word today is, is how... Um, in our culture right now, there, there just are no boundaries. There are no grounds. There is no sense of something greater than ourselves. And in that absence, what becomes the greatest thing is us, right? And whatever we think or whatever offends us. 
And and I love God's word because it's it's not only um, true in the deep theological sense as it reveals to us the very character and nature of God, but it's just eminently practical. It's just eminently practical. And, and if we'll look to it, if we'll, if we'll listen to it, we'll find help in our time of need. We'll find the very things that we need to honor God in, uh, in the days in which we live. And so, so I just want to invite you to keep those two things in tension, the, the transcendence and glory and beauty of God's presence revealed in His Word and at the very same time, the very practical wisdom that it gives, the life-giving truths that it speaks to us at the very same time. So let's, let's remind ourselves a little bit about where we've gone on this journey. We began it a week before Lent actually began um, by preparing the way with John the Baptist. Do you remember? We, uh, we met him down by the Jordan, uh, not far, maybe 18, 20 miles from Jerusalem and not far at all from Jericho. And, and we realized that for six months before Jesus actually began his public ministry, John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. And, and for six months, he prepared the way. He preached the, the gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he invited them to show that by, by being baptized, being washed. We discovered that that was not a new thing. That was a very common thing in the Jewish culture. He just infused it with new meaning. Uh, the kingdom of God is near. Prepare. Get ready. Get ready. Then we saw the beauty of that day when Jesus, six months later, stood before John, who was still baptizing people in the Jordan. And, and we saw that, that, that Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness and be baptized. Even though John didn't want to do it, he didn't understand. Jesus uh, submitted to that on our behalf. Now, John had said, it's important that you not just go through the motions. It's not important that you just not say, I repent, and, and that you go through the motions of baptism, but that you actually, do you remember, bear fruit, right, in keeping with repentance. And Jesus going before, baptism, uh, before John for baptism represented us and those who would come behind and, and, and identified with us, and we challenged you at that point, as Jesus has identified with you, will you now identify with him? And last week, Jim identified with him in the waters of baptism. And many of you, many of you identified with him by remembering your baptism as well. Just powerful, powerful stuff. Well, um, we want to follow Jesus now as immediately after the heavens were torn open, immediately after the Holy Spirit descended on him visibly and, and he heard God say to him, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We saw last week that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tested by, excuse me, to be tempted by the evil one, right? And we pressed pause for a week and said, um, how does that work? Why would God ever drive us into a place where there is no word of God, uh, allow us to hunger for 40 days and then be tempted by the evil one? And we learned some powerful truths. Do you remember them? That, that there's one concept, and that's the concept of trial, right? And trials befall all of us, Amen. <clears throat> The question is not, will trials come? The question is, what will happen when trials come, right? 
And Jesus' brother, last week, James, helped us understand that how we respond to trials is critical. And, and James taught us in James 1 that there is this path. This path, if you see the trial as a test of faith, then God produces something in you. Remember, production is what Jesus wants from us. He wants fruit. And what he produces in us is steadfastness or perseverance, right? And he said, let that have its perfect result. Don't give up in the middle of the process. Let steadfastness have its perfect result, its result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. Oh, can you hear the contentment of that word? Oh my goodness, it's like Paul always say, yeah, teach me to be content, God, in every circumstance, even in the midst of this trial that I'm in right now. James also showed us that there's another path that we can take. Do you remember that? He said, don't, don't say when you're tempted, God is tempting me, because God doesn't tempt anyone, and he's not tempted by anything or anyone But each one is tempted when he gives in to the desires of his or her heart, right? And the temptation then, the desire gives birth to sin. Do you remember the end of that? The sin results in death. Wow. Wow. Two paths just laid out before us. Uh, and I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the for the preview that Jesus' brother gave us. I'm grateful that he identified there's a there's a way of escape here, and, and you can take it right. Echoing Paul in First Corinthians ten thirteen, but but what does it look like, right? What does it look like to actually take that second path? By the way, I didn't say it last week, but I'm, I meant to. James' second path is elucidated by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 as well. And Paul goes into much more depth. It is life-giving. It is life-giving. But I want to ask you today, what does, what does that path look like? Well, the best way to understand what it looks like is to look at Jesus. Amen? It's, it's to say, how did Jesus navigate this? And that takes us to our, our passage for today. Again, we saw that, that um, Jesus was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, right? And, and in that wilderness models for us how we can overcome the very temptations, the very trials in which we find ourselves. Let me just remind you as we begin again, our, uh, and it is a working definition. We're not done yet. We're, we're adding to this as we go along. But our working definition of temptation from last week is this. Temptation is the intersection of desire and opportunity, right? And and, and implicit in that is that, that one of the ways that we can, when we face a trial, avoid temptation is by either changing our desires, recognizing that it's our desires that are causing us to stumble, or secondly, by removing the opportunity. And obviously, the situation that always comes to my mind is, is Joseph when he was being seduced by his boss's wife. Right? He had, he literally had to run from the opportunity. He had to literally run. But we ended last week by that question, and I was so moved and touched. We were laughing. Some of our elders were laughing because we planned that some people might come forward at the end of that. So we had a couple of us ready to to pray for you and to meet your needs. And then all of a sudden, people started coming forward. And so we recruited another one, and people kept coming forward and recruited another. I was so touched. 
that you said yes last week at the conclusion of our service. This is my desire. Do you remember? To honor you. This is my desire to honor you. You said, I'm, I'm going to start by changing my desires. And though I desire many things, I'm going to submit them all to this desire, this desire to honor you. If you weren't with us last week, that's something that I have to do every day. Renew that statement. Carol, I just appreciate so much what you were saying last week to this, that sometimes I don't even have that desire. You were, you were echoing a famous, uh, a famous author who said, um, God, just give me the desire to desire it, right? The pursuit of the holy, right? Give me the desire to desire it. But um, I want to I want to invite you to think about that just for a second. And to do that, we're going to have to remember um, a um, a teaching from way back, real quick. And again, this is a work in progress. But I invite you to help me understand this as well. I call this the desire circle. And I want to take just a moment to go back to a former teaching for a second, just to remember the. The desire circle. One of many of our favorite verses is this. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart, right? Wow. Wow. Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you. So we're going to start by just saying, if you can put up that next slide, we're going to start by putting desire right there and saying, um, we need to understand this issue of desires, right? We all have them, uh, but then God transformed them. And, and puts in us a new desire. It might be very simple. I want to be a better, better parent for my child who, who is changing my life, right? Um, uh, we have, we have this desire. I want to, I want to leave behind some of the things that have dogged me my whole life. God puts these desires in our life. And that's beautiful. And, and I celebrate the desire to honor Jesus that you professed in this place last week. But somewhere along the line, something has to happen after that. And, and we learn before that, that it's important at that point then to decide what you're going to do, right? Jim decided, I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to make a public proclamation of my faith. You might decide, I'm going to leave behind something. I've decided this, uh, this 40 days to leave behind social media. If you're wondering why I didn't remember your birthday or, or answer your text on Facebook or whatever, um, uh, I decided I'm going to leave that behind for these 40 days. I'm going to be freed from that. At some point, you've got to decide what you're going to do. What I love about being together is that probably if I would asked each of you individually that question last week, is it your desire to honor God? You probably would have said, well, yeah, but you might not have taken the initiative on your own. But when you were in the body of Christ and the Spirit of God in each of us was moving, it was a powerful experience. And you made a decision. I'm going to act on that desire. And that second step of the desire circle is to decide. We sing all the time, I have decided, right, to follow Jesus. Decision is really important and I love the body of Christ because it makes it easier for me. I see I'm not alone in this. Other people are making the same decision. uh, But I'm going to choose that as well. Then comes the part that none of us particularly like. And that's, the, um, that's when we have to put it into practice, that decision that we make. We have to discipline ourselves, right? But, but I hate the word discipline. I love the word, guess what, disciple. Do you see the connection, right? 
At some point, you've got to put it into practice. And it might be a bear. When you began fasting, many of you, last week, it was not easy. There were moments where you would say, did I really say that? Um, um, this one chocolate-covered almond M&M, you know, surely God will overlook that, right? Um, uh, the discipline of doing what you decide is hard, especially initially. And it's so cool to know that other people are doing it. Yeah, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. We can, without even saying anything, we just look at each other and nod. Yep, yep. We're, we're in this together. Here's the beauty of the desire circle. Here's the, the awesome thing. When you risk disciplining yourself for long enough, right, all of a sudden it, it becomes a, a delight instead of a discipline. All of a sudden you start longing for it. You start longing for it. I'm three weeks into a absence of racquetball, and, and, and first I was kind of relieved. I, I was just burned out a little bit on racquetball, but, but, um, but now my body's longing for it. Karen woke me up there and I said, your leg is just moving. It's just moving, right? It wants to move. It wants to exercise. Um, at some point, if you do it long enough, it becomes a delight and you want to do it. You, you want to do it. Now, here's the mystery, right? When you get to that point where it's become a delight in your life, then God changes the desires of your heart. For all of you who are wondering, well, I kind of like a new car, right? I, 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 I kind of desire a new car. And talk to me about that, Pastor Dave, right? I'll go there with you. I'll go there with you. Yeah, but watch what happens when you, when you go around the circle. God changes it. Now, in a sense, that's this awesome thing. Now your, your desires have been renewed, have been transformed, right? But then you have to kind of process the whole thing again. Now that he's changed the desire, oh my goodness, I did. God has just put this desire in my heart to, to be a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. And, and, and I can taste it, beloved. I can taste it. I want it so bad, right? Now I've got to go through this whole thing again and say, now that I have this renewed desire, um, what am I going to do about it, right? And I'm so excited. Eleven of you have joined me in that journey and, and said, we're going to do something about this. We're going to become a part of fulfilling this great commission, right? And then we have to discipline ourselves to it. One of those groups meets late at night, <laughs> And for people that are on the West Coast as well. And, and, um, and it's hard. It's hard to do that. And we're in the discipline phase of it. But then it will become a delight. And then our desires will be changed again. I just, I just want to encourage you again. Um, delight yourself in the Lord. And He will not only give you the desires of your heart, He'll transform the desires of your heart. So what does that mean for us here. Jesus' desire was to honor God. Like so many of you professed last week, His desire was to honor God. And God drove Him into this place where there was no word from God, where there was no food, where there was no, uh, no comfort, where there was nothing. And for 40 days, for 40 days, Jesus was in the wilderness. It's unclear whether um, he was being tempted the whole time. Luke kind of indicates that he might have been being tempted the whole time. Matthew kind of talks like the evil one waited those 40 days and then, and then approached him. But then he experienced what I'm just going to call today the first temptation. 
to tease you, I'm going to talk to you about four temptations of Jesus in the wilderness in the weeks ahead. But uh, when we were studying temptation, we learned that, that um, John helped us understand. He says, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, John 2, verses 15 to 17, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. As I was looking at all three of the first initial temptations of Jesus, I started to see some patterns. This is Dave. So I invite you to take notes, but then test them against the word of the Lord. I just started to see some patterns develop. And then, and then uh, I saw gaps in the pattern, and that made me ask questions. And over the next three weeks especially, I want to follow a simple pattern with you. I want to, I want to look at the temptation and name it. And then, and then I want to look at the subtleties of it. What's below the surface? What's deeper? What's real? I want to see the strategies of the evil one in these temptations. I want to, I want to meet uh, Jesus in those places and, and find solutions. But this first one, I'm going to use John's language and say... Um, the devil led Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days. He doesn't eat. At the end of that 40 days, the same period of time that Moses fasted, the same period of time that the representative prophet Elijah fasted, at the end of that time, Satan approaches him, right? And some of you have been to the wilderness of Judea. Uh, the wilderness of Judea is not a, um, a water-eroded wilderness. It's a wind-eroded wilderness. And if you, look at, if you put a square stone in the wilderness of Judea and come back 70 years later, it will no longer be a square stone. It will be an oblong, wind-eroded loaf. And after 40 days, the evil one came and said, If you are the Son of God. 40 days earlier, God said, You are my beloved Son. Now... The evil one comes and says, if you are the Son of God, tell that stone to become bread. Well, we got him now, right? Because he's, he's telling Jesus, he's trying to tempt him with something that Jesus can't do, right? No. Jesus could tell that stone to become bread. He told six stone water pots of water to become wine, right? He could. That's the temptation, right? He could do this. Turn this stone into bread. And instead, Jesus comes back and says, man shall not live by bread alone. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, a passage that, um, that we read earlier in our service today. Man does not live by bread alone, help me, but by every Word that comes from the mouth of God. There are things more important than food, right? We saw this in John 4 when he encountered the woman at the well. He sent the disciples past the woman into Sychar to get food. They passed the woman coming back and all of a sudden Jesus wasn't hungry. And, and he said, my, my food is to do the will of him who calls me, right? My food is to do God's will. And, 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 and that was more refreshing to him than, than the temptation of the food. So what is happening here? What's the surface temptation? Well, it is a lust. It is a lust of the flesh, if you would, not just the sinful nature, 
But even, even our bodies, when our bodies are deprived, right? It's a desire to meet your own needs. When I'm slightly hungry and going down the street, I'm thinking, gosh, if I just duck in there, I can get a burger and fries, right? And, and I have that ability to do that. I, just like Jesus had the ability to turn the stone into bread, I had the ability to do that. Now, was that necessarily the best choice for me? No. And, and um, I'm paying for that, right? With, um, with my visits to the cardiologist as a result of that. Um, was it the best choice? No. Um, but it was a temptation to meet my own needs. And just anchor you for a second here, a very common understanding, but there is a big difference between our wants and our needs. Amen? And, and if God created us, if you, I'm not doing that to tempt you like Satan to say if God, but, but if, you, if you're not at that place yet where you can believe that you're created in God's image, that he formed you, that he knew you in your mother's womb, and that he made you exactly like you are, if you, if you struggle to, to believe that, you can understand this concept of that not everything you want is what you really need. And if there is a God who created you, he knows what you need. He knows what you need. And He knows how that need should be met. So there is the surface temptation. I don't mean to minimize it because I think the bulk of our culture gives in right there. They're done. They won't face any of the temptations we'll talk about in the weeks ahead because they gave in right there at the surface temptation of the lusts of the flesh. But that must suggest to you that there's a deeper temptation right here in this first temptation. And that's that's the lack, of, the lack of trust in God's promise that He will provide for your needs, right? When you meet your own needs, you say to Him, I can do this better than you can, God. I'm not trying to be legalistic about this. I'm not saying you shouldn't work for a living and put food on your table. I'm just, I'm just talking about when you come to that place where you know you're being tempted to do this your way instead of God's way, you're actually saying to Him, I don't trust you, God. I don't trust you. And for me, it's not so much on food and, and um, those kinds of needs. I trust God implicitly for that, but, um, but it's tempting sometimes to think, oh my goodness, have we planned well enough for the future? Have, uh, will our finances hold out, right? Um, do I need to do something different right here? I'm not saying don't be wise in your finances. You are a steward over those things, but don't confuse that with... God's ability to provide for you. And by the way, don't confuse your financial security with, the, with God's ability to take that away in a heartbeat. Amen? And even in the last couple months, if you were following the stock market, yesterday, I think, it took a 400-foot dive or something like that. So all the things that we trust in, without knowing it, all of a sudden we elevate them above God Himself. So there's a deeper temptation going on here. It's a lack of trust in God's promise to provide for your needs. But what's, what's the real temptation here? This is Dave. This is all Dave here. But test drive this with me, if you would. I think, it's, I think the real temptation is to shortcut or short circuit, for you engineers in the room, what God is producing in you. You know He charged you. You did not choose me, He said in John fifteen sixteen, But I chose you and appointed you that you should bear fruit and that that fruit should abide, that that fruit should last, so that whatever you ask in the Father's name, 
excuse me, whatever you ask the Father in my name, Jesus says, he may give to you, right? So, so um, the real temptation here is to, is to short-circuit the process of planting and cultivating and growing and bearing fruit that is happening in your life. We'll see this in depth. We'll see this in depth in the weeks ahead as Satan continues to come at Jesus, right? What about, what about those of us who've been in a long season, right, of fruitlessness? We pressed pause a couple of weeks ago and looked in depth at John 15. It said, fruit is not always in season, and sometimes, sometimes God lifts you up, right? Sometimes he prunes you. But, but all the time, he, he invites you to trust him and to abide in him and his words so that your life might become fruitful. So what happens if your life's not fruitful? My great fear is that you might be in a place of despair today. Say, God, I just don't see any fruitful outcome of the place that I'm in right now. Hear the word of God from Habakkuk, would you? Chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. They were in a place of fruitlessness. And God said these words, though the fig tree should not blossom, though there be no fruit on the vines, though the produce of the olive failed and the fields yield no food, though the flocks be cut off from the fold and there's no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in this. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. What you're experiencing is not the end of the story. God is not finished yet. Don't short-circuit the process. I'm going to hang myself out on a limb here, but I've often wondered what the difference was between Judas. I understand that, that he was set apart for the purpose that he fulfilled. But at a human level, at a human level, what was the difference between Judas, who betrayed Jesus, and Peter, who betrayed Jesus, right? Uh, I hope my words are not foolishness. Check them against the Word of God. But it occurs to me that the only difference is one short-circuited the grace process. One, one took the easy out in a potter's field rather than holding on. I can, I can see the emails coming already. That's okay. Let's wrestle on it together in God's Word. God is sovereign. But from a human level, He invites you to hold on, to, to wait and to, to be strengthened in the midst of the trial, to, to not shortcut or short-circuit what He's producing in you. I think in each of these temptations, we'll see also some very specific strategies of Satan. Strategies of Satan. Now, I'm, I'm again... I'm just making human observations of this passage, right? What's, what's one of them? Uh, isolation. Isolation. When we're struggling, what do we want to do? We want to isolate ourselves, right? In the fourth day movement, uh, which many of us are a part of, the famous saying is, an isolated Christian is a paralyzed Christian, right? And Satan's greatest desire is to get you on your own, to maybe out of shame, maybe out of fear, to get you on your own where you're not opening your heart to anyone around you. No one's able to speak grace in your life because you're not speaking the truth 
in their life, right? And his great desire is to isolate you. Jesus was isolated in the wilderness for 40 days. For 40 days. My wife and I are kind of survivor um, fans. Yep, forgive me. Um, But but what do they do? It it just struck me last week while we were watching that, that they isolate them for 39 days, right? 39 days. That's how long a survivor season lasts. Satan's great desire is to isolate you to that point where he breaks you down and, and you become vulnerable. But it doesn't just end there with isolation, right? What happens after 40 days of not eating? Then you become very weak, right? And, and, and Satan's great desire is to make you weak and then in your weakness to offer you an easy out. Some of you are going, I just don't know if I can carry on. I understand. God understands, Right? God understands, and, and, and there's joy coming, right? Weeping may last for the night, but there's joy coming in the morning. Hold on. Hold on, even when you can't understand what he's doing right now. Because in your weakness, then all of a sudden, our last thing here, half truths sound like whole truths, right? What's, what's the half truth here? Well, you heard it just a moment ago. If you are the Son of God, if you are a daughter of God, if you are His beloved child, then do this. Well, there's no question of the if. God has told us unequivocally, we are His beloved children, right? He's given us a new name. He says, I'm pleased with you. And we argued with Him because we're not pleased with us. And, and, and we, we realized that he was looking at us through the lens of Jesus Christ. And he is pleased with us, right? He is pleased with us. But Satan's going to try and take your isolation. He's going to try and take your weakness and whisper half-truths to you there. And, and, and in those half-truths, you're going to be tempted to give in to the desire. So what's the solution then? You know it. I'm preaching to the choir here. The solution is to counter that temptation now, with the truth, with the truth. And I'm just going to say to you unequivocally, the truth is found in the Word of God. It's found in the Word of God. Everything you need to know for life and godliness is found in the Word of God. That, that's why you've been brought to this place of weakness. That's why you've been brought to this place of seeming isolation. He humbled you, we said, in the wilderness. And He fed you with manna, right? Which you didn't know and your fathers didn't know. That He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You hear us emphasize, if you're not used to worshiping it all about the very Word of God, right? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, so what's, what can we do if we decide, okay, God, I'm going to believe that your word is true and that no matter what temptation I face, your word will speak into that. Just as Jesus drew on the strength of your word in the midst of his greatest temptation, the temptation, by the way, that Adam and Eve gave into, Jesus held on. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to decide to focus on your word. The, dis- the discipline here, the choice is to focus on the word of God. 
And, and, and many of you have, have made that choice, and I celebrate it. By the way, I, I uh, made that choice to be serious about it in 1986. I'd just been dabbling in God's Word, and for however many years that was, 30-some years, I, I um, focused on God's Word in a particular way. And I loved it. My body craved it. I, when I missed it, I wanted it, right? Uh, it, was, it was beautiful, but it was, I was doing the same thing. And this, this year, as a result of, of, of changing my desires, I risked letting go that pattern which had nourished me for all those 30-plus years and risked stepping into another one. And I've been stumbling along trying to make it a discipline. But it's the soap's discipline. It's now to take a much smaller... I was reading large amounts of God's Word. It's, it's to take God's, a small portion of God's Word to, to write that Scripture down in my own hand, right? To ask myself the question, what is it really saying? What do I observe about this? What's my observation, right? And then to ask the hard question that I've been beating you guys over the head and shoulders with, the application question, what would it mean in my life to obey this Word? If I believe this word to be true, and that's not a satanic temptation, that's that, that's that question to say, do you believe this or not? If I believe that word to be true, right, what would I need to do to obey it? And then I love this about the soaps method. I, I actually took it out because my Bible gets too thick with it, but I have a little notebook, and um, it's about 80 pages, and then when it's done, I just grab another one and start again. It takes me about four or five pages to do a soaps process. Um, when I get to this point, I actually write a prayer to God. I write a prayer to God. There's a mystery in the soaps method that I can't completely understand, but there's something about engaging it with by writing the scripture myself. I see things I never would have seen. When I write my answers, when I write to God what I'm going to do about it, it makes a difference. And when I make a prayer and write a prayer to God, it makes a difference. If you're wondering what the last S is, it's the question of who you're going to share it with. With whom will I share what I learned? And when am I going to do that? Do I, do I meet my expectations every time? Do I meet my commitments? No. But with God's grace, little by little, I'm being transformed. It's a new season. If you would like to know or like to have that in a, in a more accessible way, again, out on the table out there are... are oh, that's a different one. Um, the back of it looks like that. In the front of it's bright orange and blue. Take one. Stick it in your Bible. Stick it by your phone. Tape it to your phone if that's what you use for your devotions. But let's get serious about God's Word. We don't have time today, but I want to invite you to two more disciplines this week. Just like you uh, experienced extraordinary fasting last week, I want to invite you to extraordinary prayer. Do not hear condemnation in that. I'm not asking you to build a tower of prayer or something like that. Forgive me for that. I'm asking, I'm asking you to do one step beyond the ordinary for you. Take a step forward in your prayer life. Take a step forward in your fasting and see if God won't meet you. And again, if you need help in the prayer portion, let us know. We have a, we have a tool to help you deepen your prayer life. But it's not enough. Can we just visit that that idea of the desire circle again, it's not enough just to desire, right? It's a critical first step, but at some point you must decide to take action. At some point in your life, you must begin to build your life 
upon something greater than yourself. Come on up, worship team, if you would. At some point in your life, you must build your life on the very foundation of the Word of God, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. At some point, you've got to take the next step. Pray with me, would you? God, I'm so grateful to be a part of this body. Courageous women and men who who hear your word and then put it into practice, God. And I just thank you that there's always blessing for us when, when we respond to you, when we put into practice what we've learned. God, I know that many of my brothers and sisters have much deeper engagement in your word than I do. Many of them have much deeper engagement than, in fasting than I do. I know that many of them have great, beautiful, much more beautiful prayer lives than I do. God, help us each to move beyond where we are into a deeper experience of your grace. And God, I I thank you that as we risk adding one more foundation stone, God, little by little we're being built up into a spiritual temple. God, made not of stone, but of living stones. God, we're creating a place where you can inhabit where you can abide, where you can be lifted up, and where you can be glorified. Jesus, I pray for those who don't yet, haven't yet come to that point where they've risked trusting their life to you. And I understand that, God. I I just pray that you would so make yourself known to us this week that, God, we would have no choice but to put you in your rightful place. And then God, having decided to follow you, help us to put disciplines in our lives that will help us deepen our understanding. And God, help us to delight in them until you change the desire of our heart. We love you. We ask this in the precious and powerful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.